I keep wanting to see the monitor up there, but I got nothing. Today's scripture, Romans 12 chapter, the second verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you that we live at a time when we have your word, when we have the opportunity to be able to look at your word, to dig into it, Father, and to attempt to understand it. We pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand the deep mysteries that you put into your words, Father, that we may be able to apply them to our lives each and every day as we go forward, that we may serve you better. And Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of you. And may you be glorified in them. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we've seen over the past few weeks, chapter 12 brings us to the application portion of the book of Romans. And that we've learned a great deal through the first 11 chapters, but now with all that wisdom and knowledge and doctrine that we've had it's now what we're going to do with it how we're going to apply it how we're going to use it every day in our lives Uh, we're going to see how we should live our lives basically and that's the whole point of the last half of this book of Romans we're given a lot of knowledge and we've been given a lot of deep insight into God and, and how he works and who we are as people. But it is the application that's the most difficult part, right? I I think that's the way it is with anything in life. When we go to school, we're taught a lot of things. We gain a lot of wisdom in school, whatever it may be, grade school, high school, college, post-secondary, whatever the case may be, you get a lot of knowledge and you gain a lot of wisdom, but it's not until you apply it that the rubber meets the road. We're all taught different things throughout our academic lives, and sometimes we wonder if we will ever use it, and sometimes we don't use some of it. But it's the application that becomes part of our lives as we live day to day, and it's no different with God's Word. And so we can have all the biblical wisdom in the world, but if we don't apply it and don't know how to apply it, it's worthless. It is absolutely meaningless. And so it's very important that we learn to apply all of those wonderful principles that we've learned in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And you know, as we look at those principles and we look back on them and we think about them, some may seem to be at odds with others. Some may even seem to contradict each other at first, but they don't. But it's up to us to be able to dig into them and say, well, what's the application here? How are we supposed to live our lives in order to glorify God and follow those principles? And that's our job. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Is one of the ways to be able to, to live our lives perfectly or as perfectly as we possibly can in harmony with what we've learned. And that's the importance of these last few chapters, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So here Paul tells us, don't be conformed to this world. 
So we are to push back on the world. Don't be conformed to it. We are not to be the same as the world. And so we are to fight that, basically, is what he's telling us here. So does that mean that we're supposed to be revolutionaries? No, it it does not mean that. But unfortunately, if you look back at our Christian heritage, there were those who believed that that was the case. That we were to be revolutionaries and we were to set up some sort of theistic society in which what we believe conquered all. And that wasn't the point that Paul was making. And I hesitate to say that's not what we're supposed to do. If we were supposed to do that, I think we'd have seen a far different view of Jesus than what the Bible portrays. The Jews all wanted him to come out and be that leader and set him up as some sort of king with his own physical kingdom here on earth, but that's not the Jesus we see in the New Testament. Nor did he tell us to go out and conquer lands and bring people into submission. It's not what he told us at all. He told us to go out and make disciples, to show them his love, to show them his mercy, to show them his kindness and grace. And that's the way we are to make disciples of Jesus. So we are not to be revolutionaries. We are not to try to conquer, physically conquer the world, so to speak. So on the surface, this passage seems relatively simple, doesn't it? Don't be conformed by this world, but instead transform yourselves by the renewal of our minds. But when we look at this passage, we have to also maintain that there are other passages that are a little bit different. And we're going to look at those. To Corinthians, Paul said, To the weak... I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So on the one hand, you've got Paul saying, do not be conformed to the world. And on the other hand, you've got Paul saying, I become all things to all people. So does anyone see the tension that is in those two Verses. I, I hope that you do. I hope that you can see that there are some inherent difficulties. They're superficial, but nonetheless, they are there. So with this one, there are those that will say, you see, Paul's telling us that it's okay just to go out and engage in sinful activities because he's saying, I've become all things to all people. So I'm going to go out and get drunk with the drunkards. I'm going to go out and steal with the thieves whatever the situation, but that's not what Paul is saying. And Paul's saying basically what Jesus did when he was here. That I'm not going to avoid the thieves and the drunkards, the adulterers, the murderers. I'm not going to avoid them. I'm going to be with them. I'm not going to hold that against them. I have become all things to all people. There was a problem in Paul's time. There was a problem that the Jews had with the Gentiles. One of many, some of which was what they ate, right? So you see a group of Gentiles eating pork. Paul was Jewish. He's like, eh, am I going to look down my nose at them because they're eating pork? Well, no. And Peter learned that the hard way, right? 
He said, all things are clean, all things are glorious, all things are from God. And so Paul says that we should be out there with those, being kind to everyone, showing Christ's love, gentleness, and kindness to all the world. To all the world. He's not telling us to participate in sinful activities. 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 32 and 33. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many, but that of many that they may be saved. So Paul is encouraging us, don't be offensive. Don't be abrasive to people. Don't try to drum up drama just for drama's sake. Show people love and compassion and mercy. And that, that's the point that Paul's making in this passage. He lived a life trying not to offend others. He did not want to be offensive, especially, and he's talking about unbelievers here. He wanted to show them kindness and gentleness and love and compassion. And that's what he's asking us to do. Don't engage in petty quarrels. Avoid those disputes that will only serve to make it more difficult for us to be a witness to unbelievers. If we're constantly engaging in disputes and being quarrelsome and being difficult, unbelievers aren't going to listen to us. They're not going to want to be around us. But when you show kindness and compassion and understanding, then they enjoy that company. And so Paul's saying, that's what I've done. I've shown kindness and gentleness and love and compassion to everyone I come in contact with. Why? So that in the end, in the end they may be saved. So that they not just turn me off as some lunatic or someone that's just out to stir trouble or cause problems. He was merely expressing the two principles that we must keep in mind as Christians. That we are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And those are two very important principles. We have to be in the world. In order for us to make disciples, we have to be with the unbelievers to make disciples. But we're not of the world. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims here. And we must maintain a pilgrim philosophy. That we are foreigners in a foreign land even though we have to be here. I mean, that was the way Christ lived his life, right? I mean, he clearly was a foreigner. He came to this world. He didn't avoid anything or anyone. He was amongst the sinful, amongst the sinners. Yet he did not partake in it. That wasn't who he was. So we must wear that badge that we are in the world, but not of the world. And when we can wear that badge, we can understand this second verse of chapter 12 a little bit better the words of Christ in John 17 this is his high priestly prayer I do not ask that you take them out of the world 
but that you keep them from the evil one. You keep them from sinfulness. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This, this is the point, right? We stay in the world. We stay here until God takes us out. And so when we stay here, we avoid the sinfulness, is what Christ saying. Keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, the same as I am not of the world. And so we live this life and mimic what Jesus did when he was here. Now there are some issues with this, and there have been those in the past that believe that we keep ourselves aside, that we've been set apart, and we have been, that that, but that does not mean that we are to exclude ourselves from everyone and everybody. There's been a lot of monks that have set themselves apart and just isolated themselves from society. Remember when we went through the Beatitudes, the salt and the light? We are the salt and the light, and if we isolate ourselves from everyone else in the world, then true darkness enters everyone else. True darkness permeates society. The little bit of goodness that is in this world today is there because of God and His work through who? Through us. And so when we separate ourselves from that, or we isolate ourselves, that goodness doesn't shine through. And darkness only follows. And we raise our children. And we want to raise our children and we want to nurture them. We want to keep them from being exposed to the darkness in the world. Honestly, the darkness that's in a lot of the public schools today. We're very fortunate. We have a very good public school right here, right now. Not every district has that. A lot of them are extremely dark. So we tend to want to protect our children from that. And that's good. We need to nurture our children. But I also want to say... You need to make sure your children is edu- or are educated about what lies beyond. They're going to find out, right? And so it's up to us as parents and grandparents and leaders in churches to say, hey, look, this is what you're going to see when you get out there. Because if we don't prepare them and we nurture them and we hold them in this glass little house that we would love to do so, and then that gets broken and they're out there, there's danger in that. Because reality can be oh so bad to a a young man or a young woman when they're exposed to that darkness and didn't know anything about it their entire life. So while we nurture and protect as well we should, we also have to make sure they're educated and they know the evils that lurk beyond and they know what they're up against whenever they go out into the world or dreadful things can happen. So it's a delicate balance, right? We want to protect, but then the question is, do we overprotect to the point that they become naive and don't understand the reality of the world that they're going to find themselves in because we're not going to be able to protect them forever. And so we just have to make sure they know what the future is. They have to be grounded and to the extent that they can manage that sinful culture that they will find themselves in at some point in time in the future. It's exactly what Jesus asks here in verse 15. That keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. Protect them. So we shouldn't separate ourselves from the world. We're to be part of it. We're to be in it. 
but we're to be different than the world as well. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. So we're in the world, we're part of the world, but we see we're still separate from the world. Touch no unclean thing. Don't go out in the sinful world and become that sin. We are different. We are to be separate from that. Know our boundaries. We're to associate with everyone. But I caution you, and as I've said before, we all hopefully fight sin. That's part of who we are as Christians. We have some sins that are more difficult to fight than others. Don't go expose yourself to the sin that you may succumb to in an order to be out in the world. Don't do it. As James says, flee from that sin. Flee from that demon that you fight in your life. Know where you can go and what you can do. For instance, if I'm an alcoholic, the last place that I need to be going to try to help people is the bar. Because that's a difficult place for the alcoholics to be. Know what your triggers are and avoid that. But nonetheless, be out there among everyone else as Paul asks us to do. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 11. I wrote you in my letter. Now this is 1 Corinthians. And he's saying, I wrote you in my letter. So what does that tell us? There's another letter out there, right? This really isn't 1 Corinthians. Even though it says it's 1 Corinthians, there's a 1 Corinthians that God didn't want us to read. So it never was found. So Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he's telling him, stay away from sexually immoral people. But he doesn't want to leave it at that. So he's going to go and he's going to put flesh on the bones and he's going to explain what he's meaning by this. And he says, I didn't at all mean for you to not associate with the sexually immoral people of the world or greedy people or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. So if you wanted to avoid sexual immoral people, greedy people, swindlers, idolaters, he could have made that list a mile long. He just cut it short for brevity's sake. You need to leave the world. He's saying, that's not what I meant when I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people. He's going to tell us his meaning here. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such a one. So he's put flesh on the bones here, hasn't he? It's like, don't avoid the sinners of the world. But there's some people that you need to avoid. And who are those people? Those who claim to be Christian. Those who claim to be Christian and are engaged in sexually immoral behavior, that are engaged in greed, idolatry, reviler, drunker, swindler, you say, I'm all of those. Okay? The difference is, do you embrace it? Is it part of your life? Or do you fight it and do you repent from it if you fall? That's the difference. 
If you're a drunkard and you say, I'm just going, that's who I am. That's the badge across my chest. I'm a drunkard. I'm going to accept it, and you should too. No. Paul's saying, avoid those people. They do harm to the cause of Christ. Embrace those who fight that battle. Embrace those who repent from that. Yeah, there are times when we fall. There are times when we sin. But the question is, and I've said it probably a thousand times from this pulpit, the question is, do you fight these tendencies? Whenever you fail, does it grieve you? Do you wish that you could win that battle? There are times when you win and times when you lose, but the big question is whether or not you're in the fight. And he's saying, avoid those who have given up and claim to be Christians and are no longer in the fight. Don't avoid the unbelievers because you're out there amongst the unbelievers to try to share the gospel with them. And that's the point that Paul's making and that's what he's trying to tell us here. So we're in the world, but not of the world. So, go back to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not let the world rule our lives. We are different from the world. We've been set aside. We are Christ's. And that's what Paul wants us to know. We have to be different. And the church is set aside to be Christ's bride when he returns. She's beautiful. She's white. She's pure. She's all of those things. And we need to make sure that that's what he gets when he comes back. But at the same time, we have to do the commandments or exercise the commandments that he's asked us to to share the gospel with everybody out there. Regardless of what they look like, what they believe, who they are or may not be. Everyone, we share that gospel with them. But it requires us to think differently. As fallen men and women, our brains malfunction. We're born and we come into this world with a desire to please one person. Me. Me. And you, you can see that personified beautifully in, in the small children. But we never fully grow out of it, right? And you can really see it in, in different people. But we have to change our minds to be able to see the truth. Once the Holy Spirit comes in us, once we are renewed, then we see there's someone that's bigger than me. There's someone that's deserving of glory, and it's not me. There's someone who is perfect in every way, and it's not me. And it's not until the Holy Spirit quickens that in your heart that you're able to see it. Yeah, some people may be able to beat it down, but you don't really understand the beauty of God until that mind is renewed, until the Holy Spirit changes our thinking. That fallen mind, that fallen way of thinking causes us to become slaves to our desires, whatever they are, you name it. We become slaves to those desires. It is not until God 
begins that renewal process that we're able to be set free from that. 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Therefore, preparing your what for action? Preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he's saying, before you were saved, your mind, you were ignorant of the truth, and you were enslaved to those passions, right? And I don't mean to pick on small children, but you can see it play out so, so wonderfully there. They're hungry, you're going to know it, right? They're enslaved to that. They want a toy, you're going to know it. They're enslaved to that former passion. But when the truth comes, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, changes our hearts, then we're set free from those former passions. We're set free from that. And Paul talks about the desires that come from our fallen nature in Ephesians 4. They are life-ruining, worship-destroying desires. The desires that we are born with are life-ruining and worship-destroying. Because we don't want any part of God. We want everything of ourselves. But once we're saved, that mental or that way of thinking slowly starts changing. And that's what Paul's wanting us to focus on here in the second verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the renewing of our minds transforms us. It transforms us from that old man to the new man that we are. And our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit, and he is responsible for it. But I want to caution you. It's not a situation where you sit around and you're like, I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit to renew my mind, but in the meantime, I'm going to continue on with life the way it was before. No. That doesn't work. It requires us to be diligent, to be fervent in that fight to renew our minds. It takes active participation on our part. Don't just sit on your hands and think it's going to happen. If that were the case, Paul wouldn't encourage us to do anything. He'd just say, don't worry about it, God will take care of it. No, there's active participation that comes about in the renewing of our minds. And I'm not going to get through anywhere close to all of this, but we need to immerse ourselves in God. The first step in renewing our mind is immersing ourselves in God. How do you do that? Well, you look at creation and everything around you differently. You look at everything that grows, everything that lives, and you honestly can see the hand of God in that. Before you knew him, you had no desire to that. It was just, you just kind of took things for granted. It is, that's the way it was. You see that young child and the beauty of life and you're mesmerized at the wisdom and perfection of God and being able to to form a living being from nothing. You watch that sun rise and you're mesmerized that God could create such an environment with such perfection. 
You see God in everything around you. You see God in places that you never saw Him before. That's immersing yourself in God. Once you immerse yourself in God, you realize how deserving of glory He is. And gradually, that changes that whole thought process in our minds. That begins to renew our minds and open our eyes and set us free from the passions and the desires of our old self, of our old earthly mind. We immerse ourselves to the point that we are amazed at everything that we see and how God created everything. Immerse yourself in His Word. This is the very words of the Creator. His words. Immerse yourself in knowing His Word and digging deep, trying to understand who He is and what He wants from each and every one of us. Be astonished by His wisdom. The depth and breadth of the wisdom that are in this book. Never ceases to be amazing. Never ceases to illuminate new things from the same passages that you've known since you were a child. That's the living, breathing Word of God. Seek what is righteous, pure, and holy. I'll repeat that. Seek only what is righteous, pure, and holy. And when you do that, you will know and understand that your mind is being renewed. When you seek what is unrighteous, what is impure, what is not holy, your mind follows. When you watch what is terrible, your mind follows. Thoughts follow. Terrible thoughts. Listen to what is righteous, pure, and holy. Music is a, is a kicker as well, right? When you listen to music that portrays the worldly life as something wonderful and beautiful, your mind starts to follow. But you listen to, to godly music that portrays Him as righteous, pure, and holy, your mind follows that as well. So seek what is pure, seek what is beautiful and righteous. Don't seek what the world seeks, because when you seek what the world seeks, you will become of the world and not just in the world. Seek after the things of God, and when you do that, the Holy Spirit will transform your mind. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, the depths of the wisdom of your words, and Father, with our fallible, finite minds, it can be so difficult for us to to understand and let alone apply them in our lives, but Lord God, we pray that your words would resonate with us here this morning, that as we take them with us, that we would understand and know that we are in the world, but not of the world. Let us wear that badge. Let us show your kindness, mercy, and love to all unbelievers. Let us embrace them, Father. Show them your gospel message 
so that you may save them, Lord. And at the end of it all, Father, may we do what is right in your eyes and seek what is righteous and seek what is good and pure and holy. And we pray that your Spirit always reminds us when we start to get off track that he would bring us back aboard and that we would again follow you earnestly out of love and compassion. And Father, may you be glorified in our lives each and every day. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.